Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. By the pricking of my thumbs, something wicked this way comes. My husband. King that shall be. If we should fail. We fail. Welcome back to Adaptation Nation. We are gathered here uh, to talk about Macbeth, the Scottish play. I'm sorry. I'm not in the theater, so <laughs> we can talk about that uh, a little bit later. Um, and joining me today, Sharifa Williams, Jen Northington, Vanessa Diaz. We had a scrum when the sign-up for this particular episode happened. And I don't recall ever doing a four-header for a pod. Do you guys ever remember doing a four-header for I a pod? I don't. So we are trying to do something difficult with a difficult play um, that's never, well, this is Jeff's opinion, never been added extremely well. I think this one is very good. The Denzel Washington McDormand Cohen joint that we're going to, that's the occasion of us talking about it here. Um, but we'll do, we'll talk about the play insofar as we can talk at the play without talking too much about the adaptation and spend some time doing that. But before we do that, let's talk about our relationship to Shakespeare, because here's the thing that's so fascinating. One of the many things so fascinating about Shakespeare, you get any group of really educated people, people have been to college, everyone has a relationship to Shakespeare, for good or for ill. Fair is foul and foul is fair when it comes to Shakespeare for most of us, that no one's like, yeah, I don't really have much of an opinion about Shakespeare. We all have one. We have some origin story. So let's do a little round robin first. I think Shakespeare for Sharifa I want to hear this story about how you came to, to your first your <laughs> first remembered Shakespeare experience. Yeah, I mean, there are a few things that shape my dark and twisty imagination as a youth. Um, and Macbeth was one of them by way of this program that used to be on TV. I think it used to be on PBS. And it was Shakespeare, the Animated Tales. And I don't know how many people I've told about the, the Macbeth episode of this series, but... Mm. There's the one scene with Lady Macbeth that was truly frightening. And I <laughs> I just shared the YouTube link just in case anybody wanted to see it. But it is horrifying. But I was so fascinated with the story that I didn't really understand as a, as a child, but knew was compelling for some reason. And then uh, eventually I sort of forgot about it, but when I was in the thespian society in high school, because I am a big nerd, um, I'm a theater <laughs> kid, I performed the three witches scene because I would perform any witchy stuff. We performed like the crucible that year too. It was just like, it was just witch central. And I really <laughs> loved that scene in particular. That was what really caught mm. me and captured my imagination and then I just had to read it in a more academic sense for the Shakespeare Abroad program in college. And then I got to see 
the play in England. Mm. So that was like the best. And I, I never really thought about my relationship with Macbeth until now. And I was like, wow, I have a big relationship with Macbeth. You do. You do. <laughs> I, I mean, was going to say. That's so weird. You do. And uh, it looks like consistent through, well, it looks, I don't know, Jen, maybe yours is different, but like this is a witch forward pod, I would say at this point <laughs> in a lot of different ways. This production is a witch forward um production but also the moment in english history i think some uh, maybe vanessa or someone put in the notes later it was a witch for forward moment in, in english history witches were on the brain witches are cool um witches are interesting and the occult especially in the court of of king james was you know something that people talked about yeah. jen it seems like you might be the most sort of like I don't know, broad spectrum Shakespeare nerd here. It looks like you've got, you've got, you've read, you've read a bunch, you've seen a bunch. Where does Macbeth stand for you on your power rankings? I, I'm throwing you a curveball. <laughs> <I'm ready for laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I definitely, I have more of a relationship with Shakespeare right. as a whole than I do specifically with Beth. Absolutely. Macbeth, absolutely. And, and where is it in my power? It's fascinating. I was trying to think earlier, I was like, well, what is my favorite Shakespeare play? And it's hard because it's so truly depends on the production. Mm. Yep. I think Antony and Cleopatra, though, is the one that really got me because I had an amazing experience with it in an English literature class in college. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, especially that scene of Cleopatra, like, coming down the Nile to mm. meet Mark Anthony, like, it's just, like, it's just a big moment um, in my brain when I think about, like, how did I get interested in Shakespeare in the first place. And then since then, right, like I put it in the notes, I've seen, I watch every Shakespeare adaptation I can find on streaming. Like I've seen, I actually have never seen Macbeth done as a play, but I've seen three different, Ooh. you know, <laughs> varieties of like TV and movie mm -hmm. adaptations of it. Um, I like it. it I, and I liked it more after having seen this production but I don't, the tragedies don't tend to be my yeah. favorites. I, I lean more towards the histories and then the comedies personally. Because you're saying we, you have to see one of the Henrys at the Globe. And yes. seeing, I don't know, Henry IV Part Two at the Globe would be right. amazing. Right. Like, I, mean, I didn't like even that. care yeah. which, I, we just went, we were like, whatever yeah. they're doing, we'll go. Absolutely. Like, we didn't care. Yep. I was in London one time and that was on the top of my list. I was like, okay, I, I don't know if I'll ever get to come again. So we have to go to the Globe. And it was awesome. It was really awesome. So, but yeah. Yeah, Vanessa, um, it sounds like Macbeth specifically on the other end of the spectrum <laughs> was the, the thin end of the wedge that got you into the, you know, the, the, that propped open the door to Shakespeare for you. Yeah, basically, I the same teacher who like hooked me up on Agatha Christie, who just picked up on like the things I liked to read was just constantly shoving books in my face, largely to get me to shut up. And I was, yeah, I was in eighth grade and I was, I was literally just talking too much. Like that's the one thing I always had a bad grade on was like citizenship because I was just like run my mouth. And so there was huh, an actual weird. like- Weird, Vanessa. Weird, <laughs> right? Shocking. Yeah. Um, and I'm not kidding in the least, hand to God, Mrs. Now, if you're listening, like I remember she put a little corner of the classroom and she called it Elba, which is the island that Napoleon, <laughs> Napoleon. was- Napoleon. <laughs> and that's where I had to sit when I was talking wow. too much. Um, and this is one of such occasions and she knew I liked like witchy twisty stuff and so she literally was like hey and we were going to cover the book later in the semester or the play but um, she's like this has witches and murder in it like read it and be quiet and so off to Elba I went to like read it and it was obviously I think beyond my grasp for the most part so I remember taking it home and asking my parents if they could kind of help me my parents were like yeah vaya con Dios like we don't 
this isn't our our bag. <laughs> um, so they took me to Barnes and Noble to buy a literal spark notes to like <laughs> kind of decipher it for myself. And once I kind of understood the path it was going down, I was kind of obsessed. So that was definitely my entry into just like Shakespeare at large. But uh, I kind of became obsessed with this specific one mm. uh, at that time. Mine is so different than yours. I don't remember. I don't mm. know which mm. moment. I don't have a particular moment or play or production or whatever it might be um i've read them all i've studied them in courses at various levels Uh, i've taught shakespeare from time to time which i really enjoy um but i don't really have an origin story i just sort of emerged uh, bubbled up from the earth as they say about (laughs) the witches i feel like shakespeare uh did for me a little bit though i'll say um Macbeth has been a second tier of my own. You know, mm. I, I'm a Hamlet. I mean, I'm I'm a basic witch when it comes to Shakespeare. <laughs> I'm Hamlet and Romeo and Juliet, and I'll I'll take yep. my Falstaffs and I like Rosalind, Beatrice, mm. and Benedict. You know, I play me the hits, baby. Um, mm. When it comes to it, but I always find if I ever have any occasion to return to any of the plays, the thing that hasn't changed that I remember is a slack jawed awe that these things are that they exist. I mean, I just I never will be able to understand them. They're always at the the sort of the edge, a little beyond the edge of my comprehension. Um, and there's something so alluring about their inexhaustibility because you can't get your head around them for reasons that I think are really interesting, not just in the text on the page, but just the origin of the plays and Shakespeare's own like murky backstory. So maybe we'll transition there into Macbeth itself, why this particular play, what's interesting about this particular play. I'm going to do English prof for five minutes. Otherwise, I like to call it um, sound cool at parties if someone asks you about Macbeth. <laughs> yes. So can we, we'll do right. that for just a few minutes. So, so Macbeth appeared in the first folio. So the, the big one, the big one that was printed um, after Shakespeare's death, there were 700 copies printed. It, it's generally thought to have been written sometime in like 1603, performed at the latest by 1606. It was in the run. I mean, talk about your runs. Macbeth. Othello, Hamlet, and Lear back to back to back to back in like a three-run stretch. That's big after the plague, after my son died energy from our boy mm, Billy Shakes here yeah. at the end. The thing that struck me, I did my, I read my Harold Bloom, um, and I read some other stuff that I have off my shelf about Macbeth, just try to orient myself about what's interesting about it and what to convey here. Audrey, um, excuse me, W.H. Auden gave a series of lectures at the New School in 1946 on Shakespeare's plays. And they were open to the public, and they were a phenomenon. And they got turned into a set of lectures that I have on my shelf because they're they're accessible to someone who like likes Shakespeare but doesn't want to do into the real academic discourse. Plus, he's a wonderful writer and has some interesting insights. The thing that's the only thing I remember now. I read this essay a couple weeks ago in preparation. The only thing I remember from that essay is the first line, and he says, "Macbeth is Shakespeare's most famous play." And I was like record scratch because that's not how I think that's I, I don't does that does that comport with our sense of the culture sense of it I guess that's why I was asking Jen a little bit I was asking well, the leading question because I think most people don't say Macbeth anymore is that does that feel right to you you know what's interesting about that huh. Jeff is as I was watching the movie adaptation I was like oh all of these famous lines are from Macbeth it's like, unbelievable yeah. it's Absolutely. unbelievable Absolutely. like I feel like 80% of the sh- random Shakespeare lines I know actually are from Macbeth which I didn't realize until I was watching it so I guess in that sense like perhaps it is the one that has seeped most into the mm. culture but I would have agreed with you it's like obviously Romeo and Juliet or Hamlet yeah. are the ones yeah. that I mean uh, it's like Those so the two self-evident yes absolutely so again things change over time but i do think not for nothing 
we're a movie culture now. Like, mm. you know, the big the big canonical works of the 20th century, largely in pop culture, are movies. And there hasn't been a Macbeth movie since Roman Polanski's 1971. That's 50 some odd years. And I've never seen that. And now Polanski's That's... like, you don't want to touch that with a 10 foot pole. True. I no, thought there was the a fast bender. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's a more recent one. I'm sorry. I can get I was why you tried to forget yes, it. Yes, but... yes. <laughs> yes. The fast bender was there. <laughs> but unlike, say, unlike, say, the ninth, there, there was the, the DiCaprio Romeo and Juliet, which I am on the record on a podcast saying is a canonical Romeo and Juliet performance and of mm, our generation, like a yeah. super important work. Um, for DiCaprio's smolder alone, um, good lord! And then we get several, we get several big Hamlets in like the '90s. Yeah. We get Gibson's very good, I would say, for all the problems that uh, Gibson represents. Let's not touch that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a good performance and a good addition. And then we get Branagh's exhaustive, in both sense of mm. the words, four-hour production of Hamlet. And then they get taught, and I think. Romeo and Juliet and Hamlet are easier to teach. So especially after World War II, when we're teaching Shakespeare to GIs in colleges mm. and in high schools, Macbeth is harder to understand than Hamlet or Romeo and Juliet, certainly, I think. I, that's is that's it? my own... Well, not to understand, but like, what the hell is going on here? Are these witches real? What's, mm. what's at stake? What kind of a character is Macbeth? Um, whereas Romeo and Juliet, like you can perform that in high school, a high school yeah. production, even Hamlet. Are you going to have some 17 year old go up and down the stage being Macbeth or Lady Macbeth? I don't <laughs> think you're going to do that. Yeah. So I think there's some pop culture stuff that has, or not pop culture, but like the realities yeah. of how our culture is made has gotten in the way of Macbeth a little bit, um, to, to this point here. Uh, let's see what else. Yeah. So King James, King James was, you know, the James in court, the Kingsmen were Shakespeare's troop at the globe. Some people think this is Shakespeare's way of getting back at King James, that he's Macbeth or he's one of these other characters here. Again, this is what pe- this is the kind of Kremlinology that Shakespeare scholars and, and amateur sleuths want to do. But King James himself did consider himself descended from the line of Banquo, the Stuart Restoration and all this stuff. So there is an origin story to what was going on there. I said before, the witches were very much um, of the time. I guess the other thing that is really interesting is that I think I said it's the shortest of the plays. And from what I can tell, the critical consensus is that's probably the version, and this is the only version we have, is that's probably not the complete play as, as produced. It's probably put together from a prompt book. If you want to hear about the, the first volume, how it's put together, I did an annotated episode all about this. And the truth is we don't actually know how the text that make up the first volume got to be. Some of them are probably assembled out of different pieces. Some of them might just be a prompt book, which was just given to actors, right? Without those stage directions and other notes, Mm. probably some of the stuff left out. A lot of people think, and I was really feeling it during this production, that there's probably a missing scene in act one between Lady Macbeth and Macbeth. Like Mm. one more scene of them together. We can talk about that a little bit, going through some of this stuff. Um, And it really struck me here as it's real fast. And the way they performed it is fast, but it feels real fast from, hey, what do you think to... (laughs) Um, dude, <laughs> dude, what are you doing? It's like he hasn't tarried. It's been like seven minutes. Right. So anyway, that's another. So that's some of your background for you. Um, like like I said before, it got produced a lot, and for a long time, it was the most produced Shakespeare play. And what would happen? And there's some dueling origin stories. I think one of you linked to the notes down here, and give me some more background if you heard this. This whole myth around how you don't say Macbeth in a theater. Yeah. You know, some of it is you know these these stories of um, cursed Macbeth plays. Charleston Heston's tights caught on fire in one stage yep. version <laughs> of Macbeth at one point. Apparently, some other stuff happened. A countervailing idea was that if a play failed, 
what you would do is you would put on a, a production of Macbeth because people would come to see it. So like, hmm. it was bad luck to say Macbeth because you cursed your play and Macbeth is going to take your play. So it also has that sort of regicide element, like Macbeth's going to come take over your play. <laughs> so don't even mention Macbeth because that means our play is going to fail and they're going to put together a version of Macbeth that people will watch. And as soon as like 1680, 1690, it was performed, Samuel Pepys, the great diarist, saw live versions of Macbeth. Well, there's no other version to way he could have seen it because there was no electric media. <laughs> he saw like seven productions, different productions of Macbeth in like an 18-month period in his life. You know, the great, and a wow. lot of what we get of like the daily life of an English merchant class, like upper crust, educated person. So it was on all the time which I think is really interesting. And that's just sort of faded here. I'll say this. I think this production, this, or production, I'm using stage lingo, this film version is going to revive Macbeth, I think. I, I mean, I'm pretty clear at this. It's good enough. It's starry enough. It's easy enough to watch. It's streaming. It's everywhere that people can watch this an awful lot. Let me just look at my notes here. Anything else that's interesting? I guess that's pretty much it. Oh, yeah. Famous, famous productions, I guess, on stage before. Orson Welles apparently put together like a 1936 production set in Haiti using all black actors huh. with like using voodoo instead of witches and <gasps> I some drums. That. I oh. saw that a yeah. long time ago. A long time ago. Yeah, though I've never seen it. And I don't know. If, is there a film version of it? I think there's a film seen? version. I think there's a hmm. film adaptation of that. Yeah, and I don't I know if it's a stage capture or not. But here's the thing. People even then thought it was so racist, which you know yeah. it was bad. If people in 1936 <laughs> like, whoa, maybe not so much with this. Um, Harold Bloom says the only decent Mac uh, Macbeth he ever saw, and in terms of the actor, was Ian McKellen in a 1976 production where Judy Dench was Lady Macbeth, hmm. um, which I would pay a great deal of money to have been there for that. Hmm. Um, and they played, and he said the reason that one worked for him a little bit better is... They play, They were very young, and they played it very, let's say, amorously. They were they were in <laughs> real passionate love, and they get kind of get caught up in their own story of themselves, and this is what we're going to do, and blah blah blah, and that makes a lot of sense. I think Macbeth's very hard to play for uh, reasons that we can get into if we want. Um, and Bloom said the same thing. Bloom, with all of his attendant weirdnesses and foibles, but no one's a greater admirer of Macbeth or the play than that. Um, and since then, there's been a you know it gets put on from time to time. Uh, there other backstory things i mean you guys mentioned um the witches at this point and that people were interested in witches anything else in the backstory of macbeth itself because we're not going to spend too long on the play itself because one thing that's nice about shakespeare is it hews pretty close to the text so the choices are you know a little more filmic than just off the page any other backstory things about macbeth the play you want to mention or questions or thoughts you had of your reading experience of macbeth i guess maybe that's where we can um transition a little bit yeah the only thing i had was with the the story about king james and the witch stuff like i didn't realize that it was so like there's actual there's an actual quote in there in Macbeth that yeah. is like taken directly from i believe it was uh an admitted an admittance of guilt from somebody who was tried as a witch in that time yeah sailing in a sieve was a, a thing that was mentioned and taken from an actual, you know, supposed witch of the time. So I just thought that was interesting how close the the actual dialogue. Yeah, was. I think that's 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 really important to say because I mean my own sense of the occult now is like I 
maybe I shouldn't have to say this, but I might as well like, I don't believe in witches. I don't believe in ghosts. That wasn't at stake here. Like this was thought to be perhaps a real phenomenon that yeah. witches would show up and do stuff, yep. um, which is hard to, I can say that in my head, but I can't really feel it in my heart. So I'm trying to like hold that element of the supernatural as this is something people thought is possibly plausible that would happen to someone um, in, in the time of, uh, let's see. So this was, yeah, came this, these trials in 1591. And again, mm-hmm. Salem witch trials are a century later. So we have a century of like real witch anxiety. Yeah. Um, Oh, yeah, on, it was, at least it was hysteria it was yeah like, i feel like we focus a lot on the american witch trials because yeah. of where we are but like i'm a yeah yeah i've spent a lot of time on the <laughs> other version and like agnes Sampson is a very very famous like accusy um yeah I, and i never once made the connection that that's where that line came from oddly enough. Mm, it, was, yeah. it was brutal though like so many people died <laughs> during that witch hunt in particular I haven't seen this Columbo episode. Did you put this in, Sharifa? Called yes, Dagger I of the did. Mind? Was this your note? Yes, that I did. That is amazing. I was like, that's Sharifa. <laughs> I have all of the Columbo DVDs, and I have most of the episodes memorized, and I was like, Macbeth, Columbo. <laughs> but it was just sort of an, <laughs> it was an example to me of how you can use Macbeth as a story for yes. basically, you can insert it into so many stories about you know, power grabs and people who, Mm. couples specifically, Mm -hmm. because in the Columbo episode, it was a theatrical couple. And you could just put it anywhere. You have two people who just really want to get somewhere and be somebody. And you have Mm -hmm. them like doing whatever it takes. And, and somehow you can always insert Macbeth into one of those stories. So, and it's also just a great episode. Theater nerd. I mean, and Dagger of the Mind. I mean, Dagger of the Mind. Just unbelievable title. Come on. That's awesome. Uh, So that's really, in terms of the reading experience, it's a lot like Shakespeare, I guess, as well. (laughs) It it reminds me of Shakespeare. Um, There is a lot more occult. I think reading the play, I, I, again, I'm not a dramaturg, so I don't think, I tend to think in terms of movies sometimes when I read, like I can turn that off and on if I want, but I don't think in terms of play. So imagining, say, what the witches would look like on a stage or these later ones where there's the apparition that they conjure and then mm-hmm. Hecate comes a little bit later and that's actually interesting excised from the movie that the, then there's like the boss witch who's like mad because she didn't get to enjoy torturing Macbeth with the other witches and she's like <laughs> let me play and I was like whoa that's interesting I, I just don't have a good sense of reading that and I mean the thing that always strikes me is they're for me they're reading texts these are texts to be read because i want to linger on sound and fury signifying nothing you know the mind's dagger soliloquy as he's sort of approaching mm. um the king's bedchamber is you know up there I, I think it's the hipsters to be or not to be like okay yeah fine you like to be or not to be that's the obvious pick but i'm actually a king's <laughs> fan and you're a beatles fan and the king's <laughs> fan they like the the mind's dagger speech that's what they say is their favorite and it just happens so fast on screen that you don't, I'm like, wait, that was amazing. Can we do more? And it's gone and it's over and it's fleeting where when I'm reading, I get to read it like poetry, which of course it is, but not to men perform like that. And that, and that cognitive dissonance, I've never been able to reconcile of needing to slow down to relish the language, but then the very real temporal reality of people saying words on a stage and trying to act out drama. Mm. I've always feels like I'm, I'm always between I'm too fast or too slow. I'm too slow to read and it's too fast when performed. And I think that's sort of the pleasure that you can never have really a canonical version of Shakespeare because there isn't even a canonical version of the performance captured anywhere. It's not like, say, 
I was thinking of something similar, like we have no, what is the, uh, sorry, I'm blanking on the name, the, the Hamilton, right? Oh, that yeah. they did a big filming of the, the, the mm. production. And now we have an archival record as close as possible to what the real authentic Hamilton was with all the main characters and all the original cast. There's no such thing for Shakespeare because we don't even, we can't even agree on what text was performed when because it was always changing. And that slippage and then and did Shakespeare actually exist is behind all of it. So there's always this sort of like it's all the, the fogginess of, of Macbeth feels to me like I'm always kind of feeling like I'm reaching through the fog and sometimes I hold on to something. But as soon as I hold on to that piece, I let it go because I got to try to figure out something else. And I guess I like that feeling. Um I don't know. Do you like to read? Do you like to read Shakespeare? Do you not like to read Shakespeare? You want to go around, Vanessa? How about you? You like to read it as a kid. Do you still like? Would you pick up your, you know, your Shakespeare collection off the side and pick it up if you had time to do such a thing? I do occasionally because I am yeah. that person. Um, and yeah, I, I find it's like it, it's just a one big experience. Like I couldn't do just the reading or just the watching. Like there's something to be gleaned from both. Yeah, um, yeah the the theatrical versions. Uh, whether it's a play or an actual, you know, film, like, go so quick that especially if you are not familiar, like most of us are not, with, like, you know, old English. <laughs> like, can, <laughs> there's a lot that you might miss, um, especially if you're not familiar with the text. A lot of that comes down to me to, like, the actual actors and the way that they perform mm-hmm. and you just kind of getting a lot of context clues, which is how I absorbed a lot mm-hmm. of my Shakespeare when I was younger. Um, but, you know, now having the benefit of understanding those kinds of things a little better, like I, I did the, I thought I was going to read the play first and then watch the adaptation. And I did the reverse just to see like what my comprehension level was going to be at with a couple of years since I'd read the play. And I'll, you know, the, the play does now a little bit read, I guess is more boring, but it, it absolutely though richened the experience because I had to go through and I could, yeah, like take my time with some of those passages and ask myself like what they meant yeah with more clarity so i yeah they're they're both kind of essential experiences for me jen how about you reading shakespeare these days what's it like for you yeah i i read half of it before Mm -hmm. i watched it and i didn't do that exactly on purpose um but i also (laughs) didn't not do it on purpose i like i knew i wanted to read at least some of it before i went into it because for me, absolutely having a refresher just for the rhythms of Shakespeare. Yeah. Like, I know I'm going to miss that. a quarter to half of what any given words are, which is fine. Like, I'm okay with that, especially in the context of Shakespeare, because I've learned after having seen a lot of Shakespeare performed in the original language, whether or not the setting was changed, which I, is a thing I love. Mm-hmm. Like, when you update the trappings but keep the language, like, I'm super into that juxtaposition. Yeah. So. But I, there is like, you know, he has rhythms, he has tendencies, he has, you know, a style. And so it was nice for me to have like gotten a little bit of a refresher on that without getting too hung up about like, okay, but this specific line in this specific scene. But I will say what was really interesting having done that and then watching it was, I, and I guess this goes back to, this is a thing I didn't know until you literally said it like three minutes ago, that maybe it came out of a prompt book because there's no stage direction yeah. mm-hmm. and there's no like descriptions oh, yeah. of what people are doing in between scenes. So there are these like liminal spaces that I thought this adaptation really played with in a way that I loved. So that was pretty cool, actually. Yeah, I think that's one thing that you like. It's it's really a little bit what I said about the witches not being able to identify it. Is you get to play with the space on the stage or on the screen where you can who's watching what there is. You know, famously, is Ophelia watching Hamlet? Is Hamlet right, watching Ophelia right. while they're there? There's some similar things going on here, 
and then not just where they're standing, but how they're standing. Are they mm-hmm. around the corner? Are they incidentally overhearing it? Um, the the sense of the castle here. I don't know the geometry. Like I couldn't draw you a blueprint of this castle. Like it doesn't really matter. But you're right. There's a lot of little bits and bobs and spaces and. You know, it, we're at the bottom of these oculuses with these perf- mm-hmm. perfect circles of sunlight, yeah. and it's rainy, and it's foggy, which is really cool. Shreve, it looks like from the notes here that maybe f- of the four of us here, you're the least big of a fan of actually just reading it on the page. Do I have that right? Tell I was being that. very uncharitable and <laughs> basically said... This is an honest space. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> basically was like, reading it is boring. But I will say, listening to all of you talk about, you know, the benefits of reading the play, I, when I did do Shakespeare Abroad, I did a very fast pace, read all the books that were assigned before Mm. I even arrived, because I just wanted to have a good time and watch them plays. And Mm. I had sort of a similar experience. So when I got there before watching the plays, I skimmed the play again, just to remind, refresh my memory. And I will say that having read the actual play right before watching the adaptation for Macbeth, I was able to catch a lot more of what they said. And I was able to follow along with the story a lot better than I think I ever would have if I just came to it, you know, fresh, Mm -hmm. no memory of the play other than like the big themes, but actually being able to hear the language and catch some words and some quotes was helpful to me. So I I did, I didn't enjoy the experience of reading it. I I enjoyed the experience of reading it and then watching it. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's one of the ironies, right? Is that they're not meant to be read. Like Shakespeare didn't keep like a book, so they're going to publish after I'm dead. It's like, they were meant for the stage, and once they were gone, they were kind of gone. So anything yeah. we're doing is a post a post hoc pastiche of various performances and versions and everything I, else. I do want to say before we move on from this that I do read Shakespeare for funsies. That's like, amazing. I, I absolutely <laughs> yeah, you and me too, Jen. <laughs> it's I have a I like sort of I talk about this on uh, a couple of podcasts at this point. I have a bedtime book always going mm. that just helps me like wind my brain down a little bit. So it has to be a very specific kind of read. It can't be too engrossing because then I won't go to sleep. But it can't be too boring because then I can't get my brain to yeah. s- to spin down. And Shakespeare I find is amazing because it does suck me in. But I like I, I don't. There's no what's going to happen next. Like I know what happens next in all of the plays. <laughs> so I can just get lost in the words and then, you know, get my brain to a place where it's like, okay, now we can like move on um, and, and you know, get to bed. But so I, I, I find it almost like meditative, I guess, mm. is, is the quality I get yeah. from reading Shakespeare. I love the wordplay. I think it's, it's like it's like when I started reading Austin with a more with a greater understanding of that time period, I catch more of the jokes and I'm like, oh, yep. it's hysterical. Like, oh, that's sarcasm. I get it. Yep. Like, and I, I enjoy that. So, yeah. yeah. So I, I do, I really do read Shakespeare, just not, regardless of seeing it played, which I know is not how it's supposed to be, but here we are. Yeah, I don't, there, I think at this point there is no supposed to, right? I mean, maybe that's kind of, we're talking around the same thing. You encounter it. There's like a fractal quality to it, right? You could, you could see almost a pantomime version of Macbeth and understand what's going on. And right. I think, half of our ability to read the the play on the screen is like there's an elementalness to all of the plays that are very you know transformative and i think that's why they hold up 
over 500 years or whatever it is, but also then the more you want to dig down, there's something waiting for you there too. Yeah, if you want to yeah. go, or if you want to go all the way down to the line, there's something waiting for you. Mm-hmm. And I think that vertiginous is part of what makes it so alluring. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, mag- I mean, the only word I have for it is, is, is this is as close to secular magic with language that you can that I can really read, and I read. I tend to go on on jags. Like now, I'm on a Shakespeare jag. Also, because of Station Eleven, because there's a bunch of right. Shakespeare in Station yeah. Eleven. So I'm on a Shakespeare jag now, and this will happen. And I'll put it on the shelf for a while, and I'm sure there'll be a new, I don't know, as you like it that comes out, and I'll pull mm-hmm. that off. And I'll go on a Rome, uh, the the comedy yeah. jag. Um, and then you know, one of my secret daydreams, I'll confess to you here, is someday when I'm retired, I'm in, I'm, I'm a bit player in some terrible community production of of Shakespeare, and I'm yes, like, I get Jeff. stabbed early. Maybe, oh my God, maybe I want this so bad, Jeff. I You're going to fight for it. Like I, yeah. I have this same dream. This is amazing. Couldn't I? I could get stabbed. I could get stabbed in a Shakespeare play, right? That's not too much. To, I could be the third murderer that doesn't have a line. No, That's not too murderer. much to ask, is it? Uh, so anyway, so enough hagiography. Uh, we could go on for, for days and days. Let's um, take a quick sponsor break and then come back to, to the, the film. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95 And she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Arena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first-generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sharifa, you put in um, the variety. You know, I, I have to admit, usually I'm super interested in the how did this thing to, came to be. I find myself finding it not interesting, maybe because it was so obvious. It sounds like Denzel says the same thing. It's like, I want to do work with Cohen and McDormand and Shakespeare. Yeah. Cohen's directing by himself. McDormand is sort of, yep. if I were to pick my draft picks for Lady Macbeth to pick, I'd probably pick Francis McDormand at this point of extent, um, screen actor. So I don't know, Sharifa, anything else from that piece or from how did this come to be? It's almost so obvious. I can't find much interesting to say, to say about it. Yeah. I was kind of shocked that Denzel Washington did not watch, or I guess didn't even like try to (laughs) act. That was a choice. Didn't watch Macbeth. Didn't try to get, uh, uh, you know, acquainted with it. And it did not hurt anything in my opinion, but it's just Mm. an interesting way to approach 
something, a role that seems so huge and so mm. iconic, I guess. It's, mm-hmm. it's a daring decision, I'd say. But I just thought that so- bit was interesting. Daring because you, you, I guess you risk looking like a fool, I guess, by just doing something so outside of the main of interpretations. I guess you trust Cohen and McDormand not to let you run too far afield. But yeah, yeah. I, I, guess yeah. That's, I guess that's interesting to think about in those terms. Anything else from like, I mean, we can talk about the actual movie, but the making of, it sounds like it started filming in February of 2022, which is a portentous time, mm-hmm. uh, six weeks before COVID really got going. And 2020, then, you mean? 2020. 2020. We're yeah. in 2020. I was like, um, <laughs> that was a quick turn. They turned it around. They turned it around. In the future. Yeah. So it got started there. I think it's interesting. It's an A24 production, which does a lot of like uh, prestige kind of stuff. And then it's an Apple joint. And I don't know how much they paid for this. I bet they made money on this because it's not an expensive production. Like it, there's yeah, design, exactly. but like mm. we're not making the Avengers here um, mm. necessarily. So that's an interesting part of the business case. Are people going to watch this? I guess that's my... I don't really care, but from an industry point of view, this is a big prestige I don't love this term, but I think it's fair to say it's an Oscar bait kind of performance. Mm, yeah. I think it's it's meant to be very yeah. important. It's not a satire or some sort of wild derivation of Macbeth by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I guess, Vanessa, do you want to talk about the the... the the black and white treatment a little bit. Like, I think that's the thing that first (laughs) strikes us, right? Like from the very beginning. Yeah. I don't think I realized from the trailer. I mean, obviously the trailer wasn't black and white, but I thought that was a trailer treatment. Uh, I don't, I didn't realize that that was going to happen for the whole film. And so it's not just the black and white, right? But like, it's just such a stark, like sparse film. There's so little going on from a set. (laughs) My notes say, (laughs) are they at Kim and Kanye's house? Because... (laughs) (laughs) Notoriously, I've, I've I've seen pictures of their house and it looks like oh yeah this is the same thing like it's just very like empty and modern feeling in a way obviously they're wearing like period type costumes but at first I wasn't sure how I felt about it and the more I went through it I realized it was forcing me to really focus just on the acting like there's mm. so little else to distract you I was definitely thinking it was going to be a much bigger pop and circumstance like period piece sort of thing and the mm. fact that it was very kind of laid bare. I had to listen to the words. I had to watch the actors. I had to look at their, you know, body and gestures for context clues. And I, I really dug it. Like I said, the first few minutes, I was not so sure. But the more we kept with it, I appreciated what it did to, like, the overall experience. Um, I want to talk about accents in a second. But one, uh, yes. and I'm going to clear the floor for Jen, maybe a little bit on the <laughs> accent time. The other thing I noticed is it's in a 4-3 aspect ratio, which is super unusual for modern television's productions, meaning, you know, it's like it's like the TVs we grew up with is the best way to explain it. Sure. It's more right. of a square. I did not notice that. I was like, this is no, so, I didn't. It's yeah. so strange. But famously, the 16 by 9 aspect ratio, which is like the modern sort of movie aspect ratio, it's hard to shoot close-ups mm. because you, if you shoot, you know, Denzel's head in one third of the screen you've got two thirds of the screen that aren't Denzel's head. So this is a very sort of actorly close up decision, which makes sense because a lot of this is Denzel. And then we can power rank from there in terms of who has the most lines, then Lady Macbeth and then Ross and like just talking into the camera, getting up close. And that's another reason we know, and we kind of forget, and I certainly forget that the close up of a Shakespearean actor is a thing that didn't exist before the 20th century because you're seeing it in a stage stage. and they're, Mm -hmm. you know, you're at, at best 15 feet away from them. So it opens up 
for better or for ill, I would say, other choices choices actors can make about how to perform. And I think it does affect Denzel's performance, which is very mumbly is too strong, but it's almost it under his mumbly, breath. Jeff. Self to okay, it we is. can get there. Yeah. It's he's like more like he's talking to himself, mm-hmm. I think, under his breath, like thinking it almost like a slight mania, even from the beginning when he starts talking to himself. Where you can't do that on stage. You certainly right. can't do that in the globe, right? Where there's people three right. balconies away that could never hear your shit if you did it that way. So that that four by three aspect ratio really shrinks the acting canvas, even as the set feels broader somehow. And that's that's an interesting tension there as well. Another thing I thought about is like, do, does Cohen tell them it's black and white? Does that affect their acting at all? Does it matter? I have no idea if this is something actors would do, but like... You always say, like, well, the more detail we have on the set, and I'm a method actor, like, does it, I'm sure the production designers chose this, like, you know, modern art expansion of the local art museum aesthetic that's going on with this thing. But do the actors have anything to do with it? I was even thinking that from the point of view of, like, the hair, because, like, Denzel's got gray, and they let his beard grow long enough to get, like, real white bits at the very Mm -hmm. end of his chin. And I was like, did they do that on purpose because they know it would pop? Because he he has all these scenes of like leaning over Brandon Gleeson or and mm. he, he's like very chin forward <laughs> on the whole, and I thought that was really interesting as well to see that um, that black and whiteness really really matters. Uh, so that that's cool. And then you get you know the witches are black against this white sandy beach just looks amazing. I guess yeah. it's just another way of, of putting it. Let's do accents because I had the same thought. Um, Jen, you're known as triple question mark. So triple yeah. question mark is just you, a certain level of ex- exasperation here. Ta- speak on it for a minute. Well, yeah, I, I mean, we've the the headlining names here are Denzel Washington, Francis McDormand, and Joel Cohen, right? All of whom are American, as far as I'm aware. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then we get on screen and the first like seven people you hear are all British. Also, they're all British actors. Like Britain has like 20 actors and they're all in this movie. Like all of them. Yep. I mean, it's and so I'm like, oh, it's that guy and that guy and that lady. Oh, I didn't know that person. And so I was like, wait, is this actually like a BBC production? But then so we it basically feels like we have three Americans and then a lot of Brits. And I just it. It's sort of, this is so silly. Like, I acknowledge this is silly, but it's a pet peeve of mine that all historical dramas have to be with British accents because mm-hmm. supposedly, yeah. like, it, like, like people in history weren't yeah. all British, but all the historical dramas we get, whether they're set in Russia or, you know, Greece. wherever. <laughs> yeah. They're all, everybody, like, everybody's British. Um, and I, I was like, especially for like a cast that is, you know, racially inclusive and like is doing some funky interesting contemporary things it just sounded weird to me to have two americans in the leading roles and then everyone like they couldn't have been like three or more american voices in there like not that i care about it's not about representation it's just literally the sound of it it's just was the, kind the of up, odd yeah. to me it yeah wasn't, like, confluent. yeah i had to like you know denzel obviously has like that new york yeah yeah um and so it, it, I actually paused and rewound it a few times to make sure I was hearing like, no, that's his like regular New York accent and not right. him putting a pot because it didn't make sense to me that literally only two people in this movie would have American accents. Right. I was right. like, no, no, no. He, maybe he's just, you know, just he, maybe he doesn't do a very good British. Nope, nope. That's just him talking. And everyone else is having a reunion from the Wizard School movies. Right, um, right, right. I yeah. did find myself. And I'd seen the trailer. Or this is the teaser. I did, there was a second trailer that was longer, and I don't know. But in the teaser, Denzel doesn't speak. 
right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. And sometimes you do that on purpose if you're not super thrilled, right? You know, like, uh, you know, Kristen Stewart and um, Spencer, like, yeah, the teaser, maybe not have her try out the British accent for Mm. people to mock. And I, I, I didn't realize I was holding my breath until Denzel started speaking because I realized I didn't want him to do a British accent. Mm. I didn't even know that until I exhaled. And I don't know why. I, I can't really... I, I'm glad he and McDormand didn't try to do a British accent. I guess for this... Maybe I the agree with that. Obverse reason. Me too. Uh, or, yeah. Again, maybe we're on the same page. Here, but could we have gotten then... someone with an Israeli accent or you know right. a, some other kind of accent going on? Yeah, I think that I hadn't really thought about the, the that side of it. Sharifa, how about for you in terms of like the ac- accent off here? Where are you on the accent uh, side? I'm not big on accents put upon. Like sometimes it, it feels like, and this is the the thought process I was having while I was listening to this. It was it's like hearing somebody of today or an actor of today see themselves going into a role that they think is like a big capital A art role or an art film. Mm. And then they suddenly put on like a transatlantic accent or something. That that bothers me a lot because I'm like, haven't we we gotten past this? Uh, I did not notice so much the accents, to be honest, in, in this adaptation of Macbeth, except for Denzel Washington's, you know, he just has that New York accent, which I appreciated. Like, I did not... If I had heard him speak with an English accent, I know I would have been, like, jarred right out of the the film. Because it's just mm-hmm. not something I have ever heard him do. I right. could not tell you <laughs> if he is good at it. Uh, I would not want to see Francis McDormand try it on no, either. No. It's just... Not not my favorite thing in the world. Just just use the accent you have. It's fine. It did yeah. go away, I will say, because Shakespeare sounds like a British accent to me. I think that even Americans <laughs> saying it, I could it sort of yeah, bleeds I mean, it's all a into very specific. Beat it's a very specific thing. Yeah, yeah that, that's pretty interesting too. Let's talk. Let's talk about the cast. I mean, now anymore, when you're watching an adaptation, you're thinking about the casting and then stage direction because the words are the words like okay they move some stuff around but there's not that much frankly interesting there's one ross in the third murder we can get to that one in a second yeah i guess here's the question was denzel good yes it's my immediate answer oh yeah (laughs) i think he was good i was muted but yes yes yeah (laughs) he was good he was very good and and the degree of difficulty i think accents must be difficult and i know it's an actor and it's your job but then to do an accent that's not your own and then do shakespeare and then not only shakespeare Macbeth on top of it is like one of those degree of difficulties you see like the Chinese divers do in the synchronized high dive thing. I was like, but don't do that. Everyone's going to get hurt. No one should be doing this Um, because it looks too dangerous to try something that complicated for that that many movements. It would be really hard to do. I can only imagine what the the acting challenge would be. I didn't read anything that Denzel's ever done Shakespeare before at all. I didn't, it's hard to prove a negative, but McDormand at least had done Mm -hmm. even this part. Yeah. it's not a wholly undiscovered country, which is a Shakespeare reference. I just realized that. That's from Hamlet. <laughs> um, to, to her herself. So I think it makes sense. I also think it just adds what... I mean, if you're going to cast Denzel as this, don't you want Denzel? I guess that's my other thought. Mm-hmm. Give me Denzel. And Denzel is his voice doing his own cadence. I guess that's my next question. I think he was very good, too. Was, did he bring his Denzelness? do you think? Or was he trying to do something else? I'm not even sure what I'm asking. Does, I mean, does, that, does that question make any sense to you? Yeah, I would yeah, say that like the what I think about and why I got excited about this adaptation because of Denzel was because I feel like he always brings this sort of gravitas to everything he yeah. does, mm-hmm. no matter what it yep. is. And it felt to me like 
the perfect role for him because there is so much drama and the role of Macbeth requires so much gravitas that I could immediately see him doing a good job with this play. Mm. The question of whether, you know, with the material he was working with, whether it could hold the interest of somebody perhaps who wasn't a huge fan of Shakespeare was a big question for me. I think that his performance, like his physicality was really great. Mm. I think that it really Mm -hmm. brought something to a play that could otherwise be difficult to pay attention to for even the short amount of time. This, this movie was not that long at all, especially compared to movies. Yeah. So I think that he, he faced that challenge and maybe he didn't even think it was a challenge, but I certainly would have (laughs) thought it was. And he did a good job of it. Vanessa. I was going to say, speaking to what I think Jen, I think it was Jen's comment, right? About mumbly a little bit. It's like, I think if, if you take into account that he apparently went in rural, cold on this mm-hmm. was like nope ain't never seen it never read it not gonna do it just gonna play this the way it reads is that he it, it feels like he looked at these words and went yeah this man is talking to himself mm-hmm. so i'm gonna play this as though like i am having these thoughts and if i was having these thoughts to myself i probably would be you know at least when i talk to myself i don't like hear you you know i don't project it's very like <laughs> mumbling to yourself sort of thing that like yeah and that that's kind of how it read and he brought that very I don't know the f around and find out energy to mm. in particular the last parts where he I think had kind of settled into the like I feel invincible because I'm convinced that this prophecy means I can do no wrong and I will not be mm-hmm. harmed and mm-hmm. his like sw- I, I, this word is overused but like swagger that he brought mm-hmm. to yeah. like that whole latter part of the performance in particular I asked myself that same question like if I didn't already have a big old thing for Shakespeare in this play would I still be kind of sucked in by this performance and I think the answer is yes because he just gives it so much weight I would Mm. love to know for people that haven't watched or have much experience with Shakespeare that are Denzel Washington fans of like the John Q equalizer variety Mm. yeah you know kind of late Denzel are they like yes this was awesome and I was into it because of Denzel or is it is it idiots or dummies like us who just like Shakespeare and this is like a different flavor and a different take of someone we really like I think I think you're right, or I agree with you, Sharifa, that his gravitas is there. The other thing that he brings that I think you kind of need with Macbeth is you like him. You yeah. just kind of yeah. like Denzel, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And that makes the tragedy even more interesting. You can imagine, say, I mean, even the Fassbender, which I did see, I had totally blanked that that existed, and I didn't look at it. He doesn't have the same likability, so it just seems like a bad guy, right? That's mm-hmm. I think that's the, that's the anti-pattern with Macbeth is like, yeah. just villains aren't that... You, you don't want... I mean, you want Darth Vader, right? Like someone who's got a little something else little maybe story. going on that you can <laughs> yeah. connect to, right? Well, and um, that was, ahead, you know, I I think that the the mumbling is part of it. I I do I did love this sort of like world weary sort of seen yeah. it yes. all vibe that he had, like I and which gives him this like groundedness and gravitas and confidence, like you were saying, Vanessa. Like he just like knows who he is and like what he's capable of. And now he's got this sort of fate or destiny telling him 
mm-hmm. that he can have even more than he thought he could. And uh, and it's hard not to be seduced by that. So I do I 100% agree with you. Like, you do like him. Yeah. And especially those opening sequences where he's kind of like rolling his eyes at Ross. Like <laughs> being so pompous. And like, yes. you're just like, oh, man, this guy's great. Like, he's Prince great. of Cumberland? Come <laughs> on, guys. Really? It's so good. And, yeah. and you know, I think, uh, oh, shoot. What were we talking? Oh, was with the mumbling. The only time it bothered me a little, and it was just a little bit, was at the very like I agree. It's like he's talking to himself. It's fine, and because this is a film, you can do that. Yeah. But in at the very end, the Leon yeah. McDuff line, I was yeah. like, oh wait, like that's so that was so quiet. So like, it quiet. Was so quiet. So quiet. Yeah. That that's a that's a really important. I think. That's the choice you make, right? If you're going to make right. it mumbly to yourself, you don't get to luxuriate in the, the treasures, the moments, yeah. right? You don't get to burnish right. the jewels. You got to kind of keep yeah, the I mean, dice, if, dice if rolling. You if you don't know what the big moments are, <laughs> like I'm not yeah. saying that, because mm. again, so much of this like bleeds into our like consciousness, because like you said, so many of the phrases that we just hear muttered every day right. in pop culture are from this play. But yeah. if you have not spent time with it and don't know what the big like mic drop moments are, et cetera, you're reading it all as it like comes to you i guess mm-hmm. and i don't know i think that would have taken someone being like hey um that line say it say it better or different or whatever <laughs> he's like yeah i delivered it how I, denzel delivers it see yourself out like right you know. but uh, yeah to that point though i think the benefit of that is that the movie is weirdly more watchable as a film rather yeah. than mm-hmm. as a yep. museum piece that's like putting these words in a different fancy frame it's like look how great shakespeare is like it's not really right it's not really what it's do i mean it, of course all of it, if you adapt Shakespeare and are faithful this way, you're saying, look how great Shakespeare is. Like, you're trying to add something a little to, to the chorus, right? Another version, another way of an, maybe getting some other people to see it. I, we wanted to, I guess the other notable thing about casting, I want to talk about age here in a minute. Before we do that, mm. not only is it Denzel, he's Denzel, but he's black. And Macduff is mm-hmm. black. And we get other black mm-hmm. characters here. And I'm wrestling with how, I think it's cool to see. We want to see inclusive casting. I think it adds something that's different. Does it add any layer to the meaning of the text itself? Does that anything interesting? The only thing I can come up with that, and I, I don't, I didn't realize in this time, I was more trying to make something out of it. I wonder of Macbeth being stepped over and being exasperated for Prince of Cumberland. There's a racial valence there. Like if was he, if he was white, would he have given it the Prince of Cumberland to Macbeth? Are we supposed to understand anything like Macduff's family being, you know, the only other woman we see is black Lady Macduff with her son, and they all get slaughtered has a certain valence to it as well. So I'm not sure what, if anything, I can really hold on to firmly. So I don't know. Did you have any feelings about what it added or the wrinkling of having non-white faces, you know, be major, the major character than other major characters? Anything jump out to you? Well, I thought that it was, I, I really was glad that they did not do yeah. an all-white cast. And... There were moments, especially, you know, because there were some people of color that were slaughtered where I was like, should I read something into this? And I could not. Mm -hmm. Like, I couldn't. If there was Mm -hmm. something, I couldn't find it. It felt more like there are black actors in this play. There are people of color in this adaptation. And... That's just the way it looks. And in this this article from Variety by Clayton Davis, like they they <laughs> introduce the topic, this uh, interview with Denzel Washington, where they're talking about the like as a part of he's he wants to talk about how the the adaptation is black and white, and then 
Joel Cohen, I guess, uh, mistakes him to be talking about, oh, what about the race thing? What about uh. their black characters? And that wasn't actually mm. what Denzel Washington was talking about, but they didn't go into like what that conversation no. was, if there was a conversation. And I was continuing to read it out of curiosity. But this is all to say I could not find anything um, that that gave me any I. sort of extra thought about why wrinkle or yeah. valence yeah i was i was it must have some effect but i think we're to the point when we think about inclusive casting that maybe this is sort of what we want to some degree like this is yeah that's what or, i was gonna say or i don't know or at least this is a part of it It doesn't have to be everything but version of this like where it's not i don't know some sort of it, it, some sort of political statement other than mm-hmm. people should get a chance to swing the bat right um yeah there are very few instances where i say that that is accomplished in that way like it feels like there's almost always something to be read into and this felt just like a hey well we yeah in theory what we want right which is to see just people of color getting to play roles that traditionally have been given to you know Mm -hmm. white folks so it's like and sometimes it is just that simple i don't know if that's 100 percent the case here i didn't pick up on anything but it felt nice that like no denzel just gets to play Macbeth, and that's kind of that i do think casting They may have cast Macduff as a black actor anyway, but I do think making Denzel Macbeth means that Macduff does need to be black or at least not white Mm. because otherwise the end is a white kid or a white dude killing the only, you know, the black king. Mm. Right. And that would, I think that would have a valence, right? If that's like this usurper is black in this white space, we have to kill him (laughs) would have a different valence. But since Macduff is black, it's not about that. Um, or it could have been a different ethnicity or race, I think, as well. But I don't think you'd have Macduff be a white character there without seeming like like a not-so-thinly-veiled white supremacist uh, portrayal to some degree. So I think that's, you know, there there are some ramifications, but I don't think they are really about the content uh, of the play itself. Let's talk about other favorites. McDormand was great. Yes. I guess mm-hmm. my expectation was high. So I was only whelmed by Francis McDormand. If that, that's unfair, but that, that's my feeling, I guess. Jen, you want to say anything about Francis? Uh, I, I mean, I always like watching her, yeah. really. And I thought particularly that I think Sharifa maybe was the one who put it in there. The out damn spot scene. Was oh, I'm great. sorry. I'm, I threw it to you because I thought that was your note. Okay, I'm no, sorry. I didn't mean to I, I'm actually more obsessed with the the woman who played the witch. Uh, oh, I was. Yeah. I knew. I was I my ace up my sleeve. You're stepping on my mat. Sorry. Give Frances her time. But let's talk about Frances. She only has like nine Oscars. We gotta we gotta make sure she's included here. Sorry, I'm not, go ahead. I mean, yeah. that scene is awesome. Like the out, it is. It was unsettling. It was so yeah, Sharifa uncomfortable. Was the one that technically, put it in our notes, but yeah, it was. I was very like, Ugh. yeah. <laughs> That's the noise I made. I think Denzel, then Catherine Hunter, who plays the old man, and then the witches um, mm-hmm. is number two. Then Francis for me, and then for me, tied for fourth is everybody's hair is in my power rankings. <laughs> I, everyone's hair is on uh, Banquo's eyebrows alone deserve oh some God. sort of special His commendation. Yes. Unbelievable! Yes. What is that, Jen? I don't what was know. what were those things? The, that is some deliberate grooming, though. I will yes, say, yes, it is deliberate grooming. Like, do you get your brows laminated? Like, yeah, yes. it, it does. It does look like laminated brows. Have, have some, you know, the costumes are. Have we ever considered pin cushions for Banquo's eyebrows? <laughs> oh. um, I'm not really sure. Poor Bertie Banquo. Carvel, who played Banquo, I thought was awesome. I, yeah. I thought for his role, Love, yeah. he was unbelievable. I wanted more. I think that's you need to do that with Banquo because you need to. You need to. It needs to matter that Macbeth kills him, and he doesn't yeah. get him very much time. Like my friend, and how close they are. It's like it's like six lines, and they're in the tent. It's like you kind of don't mm. believe it, but because Bertie Carvel is so good, 
that I think you care about that. Corey Hawkins and McDuff is so great. Um, where else do you want to go for? Well, let's talk about Catherine Hunter. Let's clear the space. I was going to say, Catherine I have Hunter. an idea. <laughs> yeah. Um, I so we meet her and she's doing uh, the bag of bones yoga pose. I'm not sure yeah, what that is. Like, what is she? We happening. meet her and she's yeah. I what, didn't know she's an happening? actual contortionist. Like, I for uh, a second thought that that was someone else that they like superimpose. No, she's an actual contortionist. Like, that's a thing she does. Put on her resume and, and okay, Vanessa, so, take it from there. Take it from there. It when was we first meet so the witches. Cr- like I sat down to eat dinner while I watched this. Why? And I had oh, to what are you doing? My... You don't eat during the bed. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I I, I was very hungry. I don't know okay, how else to put it, but I had to put it down. And so to your, I did not eat dinner while watching this because the beginning scene, for no you know gory or anything reasons, but it's just so. Yeah, the way she was like popping her shoulder blade oh. out as she turned around, and then you know it's like, oh, and here's a toe. <laughs> right. I just, right. It was such a, and they made a choice right by not starting at the actual like beginning yeah. of what right. we know to be the text of the witches. She started, I think, what back two or three, but um, or scene two or three, but it was it, unsettling is the best word that I can pick for it. And then the yeah. choice to make her play all three witches. Oh. So and the cool. way that they present, where all of a sudden you just get that hard pan and see like the reflections, and then yes. all of a sudden they're standing next to her. I was just like, "This is every kind of squeaky." Like, I, uh, yeah, I, lo- I loved it. I loved it very much. She was really fantastic, which I think then makes the witch forwardness of the play. It war- I mean, you all, you want more witches. I guess that's all I can yes. say with her. Yeah. You yes. want as much that's- as you can get. Um, you miss them when they're gone, and when they're there. That feels like the real drama of the play. I know the the Lady Macbeth Macbeth stuff is what people usually talk about. Yeah. But I think it's Macbeth and the witches is the heart mm-hmm. of the play. Him mm-hmm. talking to the witches, trying to understand what's going on. And they're playing, like, what are they doing? Why do they care? The role of prophecy. Mm-hmm. Sharif, as someone who had witch conversion based on this, or at least as part of your, your, your becoming a witch, what, what can we say about the nature of these witches that is interesting or, or, or entertaining for folks, do you think? I think that they just, I mean, for me, this speculative element, I guess, of a very, what feels like a very straightforward story of politics feels like it, it kind of puts you in a different mindset. And the witches seem like such a great foil for the entire rest of the play and how they have a Mm. huge impact on, of course, Mm -hmm. how the, how everything plays out, but they are so shifty in nature and there are so many ways I guess you can depict them and they have been Mm -hmm. depicted in so many ways in whether it's like straightforward retellings or um, adaptations of Macbeth or you know people use the three witches in other types of stories and if you pay close enough attention you can be like oh these characters are based on the three witches from Macbeth mm-hmm. there's yeah. just right. something sisters yeah yeah they just they just are so there's something so flexible about them not to take it back to contortion but mm. <laughs> you know they're just compelling they're compelling and they're so different from the rest of the play. For me, that is why I am always thinking about those witches. <laughs> yeah, it, that's. I think the flexible is a good way because the contortion is very, I mean, that puts a checker on it. But then you think about the way they can appear, the way Words. they speak to each other. They can mm-hmm. turn into ravens, which is super rad, I thought, yeah. in this particular production, the black and white. Oh, and when she like 
walks around with like flapping her arm. Oh like, my god! Yes. I was like, what, what, what's happening? <laughs> yeah. And then, and then the famous, you know, oil, oil, toil, and trouble sequence. They're up in yeah. the rafters. Yeah, like, so they're in their human forms, that. but sitting like birds was like very birds. cool. Yeah, um, they, they were fantastic. I think the thing that a modern sensibility. I think it, there could be a great temptation, and I would say this for Hamlet too, to make the ghosts in Hamlet or the witches in Macbeth signs of madness of mental illness of some yeah. kind to to really shy away from but shakespeare doesn't let you because banquo sees him too yeah right? Right. and right. and hamlet doesn't let you because the ghost is first seen by the by the dudes on the ramparts mm-hmm. and so there is no question here that these are i don't mean they're not manifestations of a singular person's consciousness i don't know mm-hmm. how to use the word real here but they are in the world that we're seeing and they're not a sign of madness. They're not an excuse. I think that's important to say too. They don't. Right. They don't evacuate Macbeth or Lady Macbeth from culpability. Mm-hmm. And you know, they're they're class. They're the maybe the. I don't know if they're. I guess it's probably um, uh, Oedipus is the original. But like the prophecy that makes a thing come true. Mm-hmm. Like it's not actually a yeah. prophecy. We're just going to say what's going to happen, and there's nothing you can do because it's going to happen. And Fate is not fate. Your character is your fate. So it was already there roiling inside you. And are they a catalyst? Are they, you know, their role? Because you can you can easily see a version of Macbeth that doesn't have the witches. That's just mm. Macbeth being like, Prince of Cumberland, <laughs> fuck that guy. It's I Game should... of Thrones. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that's, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah, it's Game of Thrones. Yeah. Um, and it's a, it's a, you know, a chamber version of, of Game mm-hmm. of Thrones is a good way of thinking about it. But the witches add an element of, chaos randomness yes. the unknowable that makes that trend that i mean that's why we have the word transcends it adds this element of there are things going on in our world and in our lives that just are outside of you know an algebraic understanding of orbital mechanics and the laws of thermodynamics right that you can sort of all plot it out there's some other force at work and i frankly don't have a great handle on how even I reckon with that though I do find an endlessly fast kind of like Macbeth himself found it fascinating like he actually is more interested in the witches than the crown I think to some yeah. degree like he finds them more compelling and once he's on the throne he's just like Denzel plays this kind of bored right he's slouching his crown is kind mm-hmm. of askew and he's upset with everybody else he's like this is boring my wife is deranged and the witches are gone and it's just me and these dummies um, in this castle in Scotland not having that great of a time. So I think our interest and frankly Shakespeare's interest and Macbeth's interest are aligned of like, tell me, give me more witch all mm. the time. Give me yeah. more witch. I also think, and I'm sure we'll get into this more, like mm. in terms of the set design and the look and feel of it and it being like a film versus a theater production, which I think we, uh, I had a slightly different response to than mm. some of the other notes I saw. The witches is when you actually get to see I think the most interesting film work, like yeah. that shot it, yeah. if, uh, of the That's reflections true. and the transitions into the ravens and the rafter scene with the the reflection in the, the water, water that he then yeah. picks up and holds, right? Like they they are part of what are to me the most visually stunning moments mm-hmm. in the in this adaptation. And so that only, you know, boosts it for me is they were like Catherine Hunter's amazing she's playing it incredibly they made really yeah. cool choices and they're the coolest visual moments as far as I'm concerned I this is not an original idea I absolutely read this somewhere and I did not remember to write down where but someone pointed out that like the simplicity in particular of the set as it relates more to like not the witches so like Hamlet and Lady Macbeth 
is like symbolic of the fact that they had these this big plot right and then didn't mm. ever stop to really flesh out like the rest of the plan but it was just <laughs> sort of like yeah okay we're yeah we're gonna kill him it's gonna be fine and then then what and i kind of that was interesting to me especially yeah, as it relates to like how much more complex it got with the witches because you're mm-hmm. just mm. getting that juxtaposition of like you don't have this all figured out the way you think you do mm. <laughs> like yeah it was, it was interesting Stage productions notoriously, in my experience, have a difficult time representing the supernatural because there's a, it's hard to separate the supernatural from the natural on stage because yeah, everything is yeah. in the same physical space. Right. Or on film, especially with modern computer graphics, and you know, you can add a layer of like, I guess the common parlance would be augmented reality that it's both in and outside of because it's not again it's not supernatural. We're not on Mount Olympus or something. They're She's coming out of the sand, as Banquo says, bubble of the earth and bubbling up from it, but not of our terrestrial plane um, mm. per normal. So I think that's one element where the film does have an advantage that the stage does not, is of, mm-hmm. of representing otherness visually. That's very difficult to do um, yeah. on the play, on the stage. Uh, what else to say? I mean, we're kind of coming to the end. Like, Denzel's great, McDormand's great. I always find with, with Macbeth, I just want more. It, it, it's short, and I think they even cut out some scenes. Um, the, the the scene that I remember with Hikate, where she says, why didn't you let me come play? I don't think that wasn't in the movie, right? No. That, that whole no, monologue. They, no, they definitely cut out a lot of lines, yeah. They cut out, and it's already short to begin with. The runtime was an hour and 45 minutes. That includes credits, of course, which is short for a for a, for a play, especially for a Shakespeare play. Um, I'm now off my... Uh, I'm off my I'm off my notes and looking at runtime. Um, <laughs> the representation of women is something we have a, a, quite a few notes of. Again, it's 400 years old, so it's hard to know what to do. Though usually Shakespeare, you get some more interesting stuff. Lady Macbeth is often pointed to, like if someone says, "What's the great Shakespeare female role?" They say Lady Macbeth. I disagree. I think it's Rosalind, but we can argue <laughs> about that till the day we all die. I found maybe because McDormand is so great, I, I kind of found I wonder to give her a little more to do. And and maybe that's a more modern sensibility. I don't know. But she went from just do it already to, boy, I'm wigged out pretty fast. And I felt like I wanted, there was a bridge there mm. that I felt like I was missing. Um, though, again, this is only what she has to do. She does unbelievable stuff. I mean, I'm does. not sure anyone can do as wild-eyed, wild-haired, yeah. kind of deranged, compelling like she does in that moment. Um well, but like, the witches, I don't know. Like, there's a gender thing going on, and it's hard to wrap my head around it too much. What else do we want to say about the roles for women and how women are portrayed here? Um, that's worth saying. I like this Jen's note. note. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I like Jen's note though about the villainess aspect, which made me yeah, exactly. rethink mm-hmm. the Lady Macbeth role a little bit because I am a big fan of villains, um, female villain Same. characters, and Lady Macbeth is portrayed as very villainous she is very quickly on board with the killing of the king and is a very powerful motivator in what happens next and so it's not like she is without power she is a powerful character in this story Mm -hmm. so i liked i like that uh perspective yeah, I mean, I you know, we talk about this all the time, right, on SFF. Yeah, Sharifa, is how much we love 
a villainous story, especially like we're getting these retellings of, you know, classic fairy tale villainesses, giving them not taking away the harm they do, but giving them an internal life. And to me, like Lady Macbeth is sort of the blueprint for that, right? Mm. Like she is... She sees an opportunity. She takes it. Whether or not you agree with her choices, you cannot argue with her strength of character and willpower. And then seeing the havoc that her choices wreak on her and what she has to deal with. with, Like, I thought, especially Frances McDormand played this so well when she's like, like Macbeth is starting to, you know, he's seeing Banquo's ghost. Like, he's embarrassing her in front of the, you know, or whatever. You're embarrassing me in front of the wizard. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like, like, why are you, you know, and, and how, like. Um, how hard she's trying yeah. to hold it all together, and yeah. and there's this beautiful moment. Like I said, they were playing with this these non-written scenes, and that there's no dialogue, but they happen. Where she like sort of pulls out a chunk of her hair, like oh, she yeah. can see the stress Ooh, yes. is starting to get to her, and then we get into you know out damn spot territory. So for me, I felt like I saw like okay, yeah, I've made this choice, and now I'm reaping what I sowed, but. Mm. But she's so present for all of it. Also, the moment where I guess this goes back to like this is now me rhapsodizing about Francis McDormand. The <laughs> moment where Macbeth says that he killed the 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 men who were sleeping the and yes. the guards. Yeah. Thank you. And and she's glaring at him like you you, you idiot. idiot. <laughs> like you have yeah. And she's like, and now I have to faint because everybody's yep. going to start asking questions. Like she's so there mm. in it. So so to me, like I I don't disagree that this is a play about hysteria around female empowerment, but I also think she gets to be who she is in a really powerful way. In a way that she is affected by the murders yeah. is important, right? Because right. one of the things that people have said, and this again, not original, and there's no citation because it's sort of in the crude readings of Macbeth, is like, Macbeth transforms himself into a murderer before he commits the murder. That's how he gets ready to do it, right? Like, mm. he, he talks a lot about it. He's telling her, like, what the ramifications are going to be. He thinks about his heart and his soul and demons and everything else. But by the time he actually does the deed, he's on the other side of the commission, right? He's already mm. thinking about the future. Yeah. Um, Harold Bloom calls it prolepsis, sort of like leaping into the future to see what the, it's going to look like on the other side, where Lady Macbeth doesn't she doesn't do and so she doesn't have a sense of what the ramifications are going to be for her it's the the killing is the way to the throne Mm -hmm. and she doesn't have a good sense of what the killing is going to be like and Macbeth's already he's the one that gets to be with the witches earlier like this Mm -hmm. is the territory I'm waiting to if I do this is witches and the occult and that's the kind of person I'm going to be where she is more playing it like a straight palace like she thinks of Mm -hmm. it in very I don't know. You know, this happens in history. Kings get killed and take the throne. It's power. Like where Macbeth is clued in that something else is at stake. Um, And he's told her about the witches, but she didn't see them. And that she didn't have access to that, I think, matters in what becomes of her. Because she wasn't ready to get ready to really know what deal she was making. I mean, the Faust, you know, obviously in Western literary tradition, Faust is an analog of making a deal with the devil. Um, Macbeth makes a deal with the devil, but I don't think Lady Macbeth understands that's what's happening. Mm. And the consequence for her is, is quite a bit, um, is quite a bit different. I think the other thing, and it's a byproduct of casting Denzel and Francis is that they're old, Mm -hmm. which is fascinating because so much of a straightforward conventional telling is 
one of the reasons, you know, one of the re the reason in a conventional telling of the reason Macbeth wants to kill Banquo is not because Banquo is going to kill him. Like, you know, it's not a beware Macduff. It's his line will take the throne, not mine. Yeah. Right. Because that's what the witches yeah. said. And then like Denzel and Francis ain't having no kids. Right. So it's like it's about something else. It's about legacy. It's about impotence. I mean, it, it's about sterility, interestingly. And I think maybe that's another place where the set design comes in, because like where are it's like a foggy place that's arid. Like it's a weird, yeah. it's a weird setting. It's it's yeah. there's, there's very little nature. Even the forest is in fall. Like even mm -hmm. the branches they use to get the Burnham wood moving is decaying and dead. So there is a kind of subtext or meta text here about progeny and what it means to not have a legacy. And it actually kind of makes more sense to me that he would take the throne because his kids don't have a chance ever to be right Banquo's kid in the future. This is. My line is either going to take the throne now or never. Yeah. And none of the language does that, but I think it matters. And Denzel plays that line very angrily of mm -hmm. like, why his line, not mine? Mm -hmm. Well, part of the reason is you don't have a line. And there's that futility that comes from, the rage that comes from, especially, I guess that's what I'm saying is like, the rage of Macbeth might, it feels differently sourced from ambition rather than futility which I think mm. is really interesting on a different valence. I haven't seen any other kind of um, performance there. Favorite lines, favorite, let's, let's do favorite scenes. W witches, will RSTNLE them, Wheel of Fortune style, we'll keep <laughs> them on the board. Where else besides that? I've got a couple, but what else strikes you? Vanessa, do you have do you have one that comes well, to mind especially? Mine is an RSTLNE. Um, yeah, okay. Pick a vowel, pick a different vowel. I really just at the end, and again, it's this is a silly one of all the like actual like really weighty moments, but mm. like when you know, he's, the, I think the line he just delivers is like, "Well, yeah, you were born of a woman, so like th this guy's not going to kill me." <laughs> there was just that hubris, and again, it but specifically in the Denzel delivery where he kind of said mm. it to himself, like, "I wish this guy would kind of energy." Yeah, and, like, I just loved that that whole last bit basically where everything comes to like a switching mm. halt but just... the tech the technicalities and prophecies always yes. get you they always yeah. get you well, and watching denzel's actual portrayal of them was mm -hmm. incredible to me just the yeah because of the age i think in particular where he had just sort of settled into like i i've officially figured out maybe what's going on mm. but maybe not and then boom yeah so i love that whole ending that scene too and i this is something i would steal if i were doing an adaptation myself for sages part of what opens up uh, gives Macduff an opening to kill him. Is um, Macbeth's crown falls off? Crown, yeah, so he wow, that's so good. That's absolutely what I'm picturing in my head. It just didn't yeah. articulate, but yes, when it like tinkles, you know, to mm -hmm. the ground, is kind of wavering. And he's like, no, 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 gotta put this back on. Because he's he's holding. We get the sense while they're fighting that he's a match for Macduff when yeah. it came to straight mm -hmm. up. But it's his turning of attention away from the fight at hand to to keeping the crown on his head. That's that that's pretty. Ooh, cool. and then that just Ross with the the head <laughs> oh, yeah. of the jobs anyway, i didn't yeah, want yeah. on this i did not want to be making the um denzel head dummy that's a problem no. I, I don't, yeah, that's nope. not a problem <laughs> sure I'm looking to, to make i don't like sure that don't. jen how about you notable scenes we haven't talked about or performances I, that we want yeah. to make sure into the air i mean i what everybody said and the ones i was just talking about with francis mcdormand are definitely up there alongside the mm -hmm. witches for me yep sharifa anything else before we wrap her up uh oh, my, wait oh go ahead jen have one well i was just gonna say we're not gonna wrap up without talking about the ross situation oh i'm sorry we have the ross we have the the, the what the biggest change outside of the casting is the what to do with ross we do want to talk about that but let's do favorites before <laughs> what to do we do there yeah uh yeah i 
those were all my my favorites have all been mentioned and i'll just add that in the moment where the crown fell off of Macbeth's head that was like the final that was like a a moment i didn't expect where i felt sorry for him again in a weird Mm. way yeah i don't know i was like oh man this is like weirdly hitting me in a in a sad way but yeah all of the scenes that we mentioned were so good and will probably haunt me for a while (laughs) yeah it's it's interesting to think about it's again because it's mumbly and you're trying you know when you're watching Shakespeare happen this fast you're catching one out of 25 but like they do talk at the end about how Macbeth is reviled by his own people and even you know the 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 Macduff and the rest are saying like they're only there because they're constrained to be, meaning mm-hmm. that they're, du- they're duty-bound, not through yeah. love. And he just doesn't have friends, right? I mean, I think yeah. that's interesting. He kills Banquo. And even if he hadn't killed Banquo, Banquo's on the run because he's like, I got to protect my boy here. Mm. Um, Lady Macbeth, even before she's dead, is absent. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And now you're with Cutthroats and Ross. Look at that transition. Oh, you like Ross. That? Good one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, who I thought was awesome. What a great goatee. The Good eyes, great goatee. He's yeah. fantastic. I, I've never seen him before in anything. Did, I didn't look at the MDB. Did you guys look? Is he on Scandal I or something? So I've never seen. I spent so much time on all these IMDBs, <laughs> and I don't think I, I no, really, like, them. I spent so much time because yeah. I was just cracking up, like, Trafus said, because there's, like, apparently 12 British actors, and they're just going to be in all the things. Yeah. He's, um, he actually is in a bunch of stuff. He's in He's in the now-canceled uh, Cowboy oh, Bebop you're right, yeah. adaptation. Oh. He's in The Boys. Um, he's done, it looks like more like, you know, sci-fi-y stuff. Okay. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. So, I, <laughs> so. I, well, I read the play a little while ago, and again, things move around, and I, I'm going to try to get this right, and correct me if I'm wrong. The major difference here is Ross becomes... In the scene where Banquo is killed by the cutthroats, the cutthroats are hired by Macbeth. Mm-hmm. And then on the road, a third person shows up, the third murderer. And there's actually been quite a bit of critical discourse about who this is, who it could have been. One of those things that's probably excised from the prompt book, like maybe the original stage direction would have said who it is. Um, in, this, in this particular, it's Ross. And yes. what we see is eventually Ross is playing like 3D checker or 3D chess when everyone else is playing checkers yes. because his ultimate yeah. motivation seems to be to run away with Banquo's son because the, the other thing he does is save, you know, he finds Banquo's son after he's run off after the murder of Banquo. And we don't know what happens. I think we're, I think in that moment, again, it's not something I've ever seen any adaptation, any discourse I assume since we saw that he was going to save them, I didn't see how it was going to go. Where then Ross becomes, I don't know, a, I, I guess, a steward of the new regime, the new lineage. And the old man is Catherine Hunter playing also. Like, mm-hmm. it, it makes it seem like the play's point is to get this kid off to England in a little bit, which I think is weird. I think Except that's ultimately that- where the weirdness came from me. Like Ross isn't working entirely against Macbeth because he also has this opportunity to warn Mac- Lady Macduff and he doesn't Lady, take yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. or he kind of half does, or it's too late. Yeah, that is a weird scene. I I agree. So his the 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 centrality and and ambiguity, I guess, of his role is is that what we're all reacting to? Is there's both more of him and it's less legible what he's doing? Does that capture yeah. our frustration here? For me, I was Sharifa, when I first saw him 
playing the third murderer, I was like, oh, am I to expect something different of how they portray Ross? And at first mm-hmm. I was like, wow, he's serving some weird Gargamel energy. Like, I don't know what to make of <laughs> Oh my God, you're right. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> That's right. I was like, I don't know what to make of this. And then I was yeah. like, <laughs> watching for like, <laughs> Jesus what was I just wanted to like understand and at the by the end I was pointedly trying to figure it out and by the end I was yeah. like still don't get it like I don't know yeah. what get purpose it. it served Other I than was thinking Cardinal Richelieu but I have to say Gargamel was right Gargamel is more right than the Cardinal <laughs> Richelieu vibes I was getting that's unbelievable down to the costuming I know uh, even, to some Which degree. I that's an amazing call Sharifa um, yeah so that Again, it's different. Does it add? I don't know. Maybe. Certainly wouldn't be something that Shakespeare's day would have put on because the king would not have liked this idea that his lineage was ushered in by a traitor. Mm. You know, that's not something you would have seen. Um, I guess another note about just how unusual Macbeth is, and, and a little bit Hamlet as well, is that plays under the aegis of the king about the warranted murders of kings is not mm. something that you see that often, right? No. <laughs> it's a choice. Yeah. Because in Hamlet, we're all saying, yeah, Claudius ought to go, man. Mm. And in in Macbeth, as much as we might like Macbeth, no one's like, yeah, Macbeth didn't deserve it. It's not <laughs> about that. It's kind of beside the point. But like basically saying there's these moments where if a king does something they, you know, the, the people, our sort of artistic um, morality lets the king be killed. When you're in the world of divine right of kings, that's blasphemous in its mm. own way. And sort of like, yeah. it's hard to remember that sneaky um, subversiveness of like, I'm kind of staging, <laughs> a lot of ways he's staging times where it's okay to kill the king. Or when yeah. the king screws up in the terms of Lear or sleep with the Othello's wife or other kinds of things that go on where the king's absolute right to rule and the right to be right is questions in these plays, um, which is which is fascinating to see as well. Okay, so good adaptation, bad adaptation. It's good, right? This is good. We're glad this happened. It's good. Oh, yeah. That's where yeah. we are. I'm really yeah. glad it happened. Yeah. I, my one reservation is that because it looked so much like a staged mm. adaptation, there were a few times, especially in the middle section, where I was like, okay, but how is this different from a very well-produced version of National Theatre Live? Like, sure. I I, I mm. wanted it to be more than that, because it is a film. So but do then, more like things a, that film can only do. Yeah, exactly, because otherwise, why is it a film, right? <laughs> like, that's that's my question. But I think that, you know, like I said, the witches' moments really delivered on that for me, yeah. so I forgive them the sort of really intense starkness and, like, stationariness yeah. of that middle section. And that's the reason I will ride into the sunset in the fiery inferno to Romeo and Juliet of Baz Luhrmann's because it's doing all <laughs> yes. the things you can't do on stage, yes. right? Like yes. it exuberates so in its openness and, you know, the urban environment and everything else there. Yeah, I, I was thrilled to see it. I hope people check it out. Um, really recommend you can do it on your own. And again, if you're nervous about Shakespeare, know that's part of the package, right? Know right. that's okay when you're watching mm-hmm. it that you don't get it. Uh, you don't get every single line, but I think one of the amazing things about Shakespeare and then, frankly, just acting 
is that you get the the gist remains the gist endures the gist endures if done well right and that you're looking for the dynamism and the humanity in the portrayal and then if you want to stay and stick around um and get all abstruse and talmudic about the language itself it's there for you too to do mm-hmm. as much or as little as you want um if you let's end here you get one new adaptation as good of this one of shakespeare do you have something you want to see the tempest the tempest Ooh. i'm dying for a tempest adaptation it's a really good one dying. that's a that's very a, good choice oh, that's, that's a, a very, really really good one really i saw really, really good, good play of it in san diego before i moved to portland and that mm. yeah i think you're probably right that i would love to see that like with the cinematic treatment yes yeah. yes i think i want a comedy if i could pick one we haven't comedy. had one in a while there was that weird black and white one that was like you know in a house was that as you like it i can't remember now which one they did you just described this one <laughs> yeah right right no that's true the black forebear is the black and white as you like it in a house but give me 12th night you know mm. give, I love give, me, give me some night. of those yeah. I love yeah. 12th Night, too. Sharifa, Jen, Vanessa, whence will we meet again? Fire and room. <laughs> really mad we didn't open with a cold breeze like all three of us. Yeah, Just I reenacting know. that scene on respect. Screw your courage to the sticking place and we'll not fail. Thank you all so much. This was a delight. Uh, as fun as, we ha- as I have doing this stuff. Thank you so much, all of you. Uh, you can email us, adaptationnation.podcast.com. There will also be links to relevant stuff. Some of the stuff we mentioned but some of the stuff that didn't get included here, um, I will bold and triple headline font Shakespeare, um, Sharifa's uh, uh, animated Shakespeare <laughs> place. And then Columbo's Dagger yeah, of the Mind. Do it. Which I'm definitely going to watch late on a Saturday night over a cold pizza at some point. I guarantee you <laughs> that's going to happen. Thanks, everybody. Thanks.